I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Chris, and I'm here to help with the aid of a show that marks the crossroads of pro wrestling past and future. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a classic NXT review podcast for all you marks who want to get smarter about wrestling. And smart fans looking for a reason to mark out again. This week, we are tossing our microphones aside and going into the crowd to discuss the episode of NXT that originally aired on January 8th, 2015. I'm kidding, of course. I just bought this microphone and I would sooner toss a human baby over my shoulder. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 85 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Hideo Itami finally slew his vampire beef with the Ascension, and lots of mid-card feuds inched closer to resolution while Sami Zayn was away in Montreal. This week, Sami Zayn returns to book a takeover rematch. The Lucha Dragons are here to have a takeover rematch with the Villains, and Hideo Itami, eager to wrestle like just a guy after his extended campaign of vampire slang, wrestles indisputable just a guy, Curtis Axel. We'll hear all about that in Bob's breakdown. After that, the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We will also be handing out our Boris Olivier Award for a commitment to the bit. And then Megan Bob will take a shot at predicting next week's twist in the ongoing soap opera of NXT in a segment we call The Next Big Thing. First, though, let's check in on Bob's guests from last week and see if their prediction came to fruition. Bob, do you happen to remember what you guessed last time? Pretty sure I guessed something about Baron Corbett. That's correct. You did? No further details available. <laughs> that is all that it says in the file. Bob has zero points coming into this episode. Last episode, as you say, Bob, you did try to predict which event would happen this week from a list of four options, as always. And you chose Baron Corbin gets pinned for the first time. But don't worry, there's interference. So he's still a big, bad lone wolf, which may or may not be a thing that happens sometime over the run of the podcast, but not this week. As we now know, the next big thing this time was Marcus Louis returns to lurk in the shadows of Full Sail like the Phantom of the Opera. <gasps> oh, that's who that was. Yes, that's who that was. Okay. It was Marcus Louis driven over the edge by his loss of hair. Now he is... Um, well, I'm sure we'll get to it in the breakdown. But yeah, he's around. That does mean, Bob, that you will have zero points going into next episode and that you have now guessed wrong twice in a row, which starts the five count to five consecutive scoreless episodes when I will get a bonus episode. Yes. You will get a chance to break that five count and score a point for yourself at the end of this episode, though, Okay. when you guess the next, next big thing. But for now, let's jump into Bob's breakdown. Our commentary team, Rich Brennan, Corey Graves, and Jason Albert. Zane's music hits and the crowd explodes. Sammy goes to the ring, but the crowd is so fired up that he abandons the ring and goes over the barricade and joins them. Chris, I am curious what it's like going back and watching the beginning of Sammy's title run now that he spent all this time on the main roster and has had some good moments, but never consistently gotten the booking that he really deserves. 
What's this like? More with Sammy maybe than with anyone or almost anyone, but it, it is a story we're going to see again and again, unfortunately, where the full sale crowd, that environment, having the same crowd night after night, having a chance to like come in and make a big impression and be a big star. Like there's always room at the top of NXT because of the turnover there, you know, in this period. You really see people kind of become their potential main event selves. And so it is frustrating to then see them get moved up and take on a different role in the main roster or, or you know, whatever else they do elsewhere. To avoid spoilers, I won't get into specifics, but this is far from the last time that we're going to see someone make a huge splash at Full sale, make it clear that they could be a big star who people attach themselves to and root for, and then just never find that traction, yeah. I think largely because of the way they're presented elsewhere. So yeah, it's bittersweet in a way, less with Sammy than with others, because I think he at least gets a chance to do his best work, even if not in the best possible context. Okay. Eventually in WWE. Sammy heads back to the ring and receives a You Deserve It chant, which is one of my absolute fucking favorite chants in the goddamn world. I think about this, and it's the first romance episode where it's sort of talking about the perception of wrestling is like, oh, it's a thing poor people like. And, you know, poor also stupid, understood as. Mm -hmm. But this is like a thing that you could never explain to somebody who wasn't familiar with the art form, because it's like, no, there are layers upon layers happening because the audience gets to break kayfabe too. Because normally, you know, they're doing like, yay, boo, all this other stuff. And they're like, no, we're breaking character now. This is important. We need to tell you something. This is me just talking now. just the audience. Because the audience is a character. And the best part is that that character could be anything. And you don't necessarily know. I think possibly a scary thing. You don't necessarily know, even if you're in the audience. Mm -hmm. I think that could go very badly. But, like, could be mob bang for blood. Could be these, like, very loyal fans that are just really glad and also heartbroken to see you go. Or Chikara, where everybody understands, look, there's a tone here. We've all agreed this is a fucking community. Whenever something amazing ch happens, we all chant holy poop because there are children here. Chris, did you chant holy poop at King of Trios? I don't remember chanting holy poop. I did. I did the motion for the ice creams, for those ice creams. Okay, good. That is one of the sillier motions you can do for a wrestler. I don't remember holy poop, but I definitely know the vibe you're talking about. But Chikara is really something special. In a weird way, it's yeah. almost like the inverse of ECW, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they have to, like, check your spirit crystal, your heart crystal, whatever. Like, how good is it? Are you allowed into the show? <laughs> Sammy says that the title in his hands doesn't just mean that he's the best. It means that you can do it your way, not the way that they tell you you have to. You don't have to be the way that they think you have to be. Textually dense, Chris. <laughs> I mean, obviously, because it's about, like, not cheating to win or, like, compromising the way you are and the story you're trying to tell the character you're trying to present. We're not going to do a close reading. God knows we both could. We're not going <laughs> to. It's good shit. He compared the crowd to a band, dubbing them the Zaniacs, saying that together they make music, which is cheesy as fuck. He did declare that it was going to be cheesy, but it is apt. I have to say, this was the thing Miles and I really butted heads about. I never minded pandemic wrestling. I never really minded just empty fucking room wrestling. <laughs> it didn't bother me that. It was like, ah, silent black box performance piece. 
is unfolding here. But I take Miles' point. I think the point of a lot of wrestling fans at that point is it pro wrestling anymore if there's no audience? Mm, maybe not. I mean, I think there's like the cinematic stuff that the Hardys have done. And then it's like a very different kind of thing. And it's still pro wrestling because it's doing something. I, I don't know how to explain how that like fits in there. It's Alaska. It's it's elsewhere on the fucking map, but attached. We understand. But yeah, it never really bothered me, but I can see how you'd go, well, but there's no audience. Like, does it even count? If there's no audience, you might as well not have a ref either. What are we doing here? Go home. I don't know if I would go that far. I think it all clearly to me is wrestling, but I also think that something fundamental has changed when you are no longer, especially listening to an audience mm. as a performer. I remember it, what made it click into place for me was hearing Xavier Woods say that one of the ways pandemic wrestling is different is that it hurts more. Mm-hmm. I bet. That connected to me. I was like, oh, there is interchange happening here between the crowd and their energy and the performers that is a big part like the whole match is floating on the energy of the crowd and without that there you're doing something very different that is like it's the difference between doing live comedy or even just being funny in a conversation versus people who god help them are like filming comedy movies Oof. where it's like okay this is the 20th time i've said this and like it is pure math trying to figure out like what is the timing on this gross <laughs> disgusting Zane says his winning night ended with Kevin Owens ruining it. He doesn't really sell that part of it. He's just like, he killed it. Probably, I don't know. There's a real tone with Sammy of like, low key, but I'm so proud. I'm so glad he's here with me. <laughs> you hear it from the audience as well, because a few people in the audience are like, oh shit, we're supposed to boo at this part. Fuck. Uh, boo. <laughs> yeah, fuck <laughs> that guy. Yeah, they were super excited. Your interpretation of that is so interesting because to me, like I see the crowd's confusion about it a little bit for sure. But I think given their overall reaction to Kevin Owens and how successful he's been on like being on the side of this he wants to be, it actually struck me about Sammy watching him this episode. And even like looking at, you know how when they do like promos for upcoming events or they do like the image for like an upcoming match, like a promo image. Yeah. They have that one image of the wrestler that they always use and how Sammy has like yes. the very silly, like happy Muppet smile one that he has now with like uh, the, the belt. He's such a good Muppet boy. What's great about Sammy is that he is operating on a fictional level that is like kind of a half layer removed from everybody else where he is acting what it would be to be this person performing this thing. Mm. To me, what I got from him underselling Kevin Owens ruining it was I'm here to celebrate. These people are here to celebrate. They deserve that. And I'm not going to fully sink into how much I was hurt by that. I'm going to acknowledge it, but I'm going to say it in that way. Where sometimes when men talk about their feelings, it's like, I'll tell you what I'm feeling, but I refuse to tell you with inflection because it's just not that big a deal. Like, you don't understand. I I have a penis. When people break my heart, it's just something we just talk about and it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, it's very sad and terrible and it makes me want to like kidnap all men and take them on a retreat in the woods. <laughs> Zane sets up his, I'm back, I'm ready to defend this, holds up the title, stance, Neville's music hits. He gets in the ring. He's only wearing a shirt in his little wrestle briefs, so it looks like, obviously, morning after. Hey, Sammy. Oh my god, what? Such a fucking romantic comedy makeup speech opening. Hey, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Chris, other romantic comedy openers for this like post-championship <laughs> meeting. Anything where it's like, okay, we've obviously like a lot of things have been said. We regret a lot of things that we did, but here we are again. It's you and me. Okay, go for it. Okay. You warned me about this question, so I did some writing and yes. and I took it in the direction of sort of like the gist of it. Like, what is the perspective of the scene? What are we doing here? Okay. So I just wrote some little lines because this is a rich vein of like the post championship match. Oh, this should be all they fucking do. <laughs> yeah. Like at once, like this big thing has happened between us. It's been blown off, but yet there's still this connection. And so now we resolve or not even resolve. We're now playing in the aftermath of that big looming thing. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. That's like a big rom-com and wrestling overlap. So here are two like classics for you. This one, very simple. This isn't about a title anymore. This is about you and me. (laughs) That's a very good one. That's like, that's very good. Yeah. We had the championship match, but this is now this is on another level. This is personal. That line I know has been said in wrestling a million times equally could be in like, I don't know, a Regency romance or something where it's like, you know, Mm, some bullshit's been settled politically, but now there are like feelings involved. Okay, now here's another one. Okay. A little more nuanced. You've got what you want. I guess you could walk away. (gasps) But I know you didn't get what you really wanted. (gasps) I'm offering you a chance at that. And if you walk away, you're always going to wonder, what if? Fuck, that's so good. So fucking good. That's one of my favorites because it allows you to shift gears. It's like, okay, we had a championship match. You won the title, but you were trying to get a specific result in that match. Like you kind of prepped everybody for that's what you were going to get. and You didn't get it. Like you said you were going to make me submit and you never did. Or you said you were going to beat me clean and you had to cheat. You've got the title, but I still have the power because you never got what you wanted from me. We have to have a rematch. Oh, that's very hot. That's beautiful. Whereas I was just like, No, awkward breakup stuff where it's like, but obviously they're going to get back together. It's like, oh, I still have some of your things in my car. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very different to come into a ring and say that. (laughs) I still have some of your ska CDs, Sammy. (laughs) So Neville congratulates Sammy and it's very fucking sweet. Zane pauses before saying that Adrian Neville is entitled to a rematch. Regal's music hits. The crowd starts to go for a Regal chant before he cuts them off very politely, saying that it isn't about him. It's about the two gentlemen in the ring and the amazing match that they had. I could feel the crowd both go, oh, but we wanted to, but also go like, yes, daddy. Okay, we'll do what you say. And it was such like a, ah, so good. If you've never been in a crowd where somebody had the mic who just knew exactly how to pull everybody's strings at once and not in a super controlling way, just to go like, no, no, this is the moment we're all creating together. Come with me. Ah, it's so fucking good. Regal announces that they'll be going up against each other again in the main event next week. Also, we get kind of a close-up on him, so you kind of get to see the scar on his lip. Choice. If you haven't seen it, it's good. Backstage, the VOD villains are going to kick the Lucha Dragons to the curb. But more importantly, Simon Gotch spends the entire backstage segment doing squats, which is extremely brave of him. Not doing squatch, a book I see in your bookshelf behind you right now. (laughs) 
It's part of the six book series. <laughs> no, you don't understand. Like, you think there's only one Squatch, but there's not. There's so many fucking Squatches. <laughs> but no, each Squatch gets its own, like, soulmate. So it's all good. Mm -hmm. Okay, match number one. Curtis Axel and Hideo Itami mix it up in the ring. Although Itami is still cosplaying as Scorpion. Axel is beating Itami after Itami gets some early kicks in. And while the audience is playing their part, they're sort of like half wondering when recess is. Maybe it's the long headlocks. Hard to know. But when Itami kicks out of a pin attempt, the audience barely notices. There are cursory claps. That is, if anything... Worse than a sarcastic clap. <laughs> sarcastic claps are at least scornful. Cursory? That's the clap of pity. Chris, do you want to be pityingly cheered out of a headlock? I would rather that my head pop directly off my body. Yes, exactly. Correct. Axel stands up and tries to get the audience on track with a like, who is this guy? Who cares about him? And they're like, oh, shit. Uh, Hideo, Hideo. So they get like chanting for a little bit. The audience kind of comes back online when Itami clotheslines Axel. It's quite a good clothesline. He has a failed pin attempt and the audience burbles slightly. They appreciated that he initiated the pin attempt with a flying clothesline, which was very nice also, but not enough to commit. Finally, Itami gets Axel down on his knees. And while that might be sexy with other wrestlers, here we're just grateful that we all got through it. Itami lands a kick to the side of Axel's head and pins him for three. Now, I don't know if you were reading shit about this stuff at the time. There was critique of Itami on the internet at the time for looking kind of stiff while trying to learn the WWE style of wrestling. Mm -hmm. I guess I would agree, although I don't know if that also was because Curtis Axel wrestles the way he wrestles. Thoughts? I've read a little bit of that critique and it makes sense to me i've seen some speculation that similar to finn balor that he might have initially seemed a little bit off his game because of the considerations of wwe production mm. which makes a lot of sense to me like especially at nxt where they're very specifically training people for their product and so there's so much that is about like the camera work and everything oh yeah that's a whole thing you have to consider like you can imagine if you're like performing at a high level F fucking nightmare in a physical endeavor like this that is taxing that requires a lot of skill and you suddenly have to think about like all this shit you've never thought of before involves staging in it which direction are you facing yeah yeah all that i wouldn't blame him for looking stiff and i remember at the time not being super impressed by his early performance so far itami is not necessarily producing the matches you would expect from somebody with his reputation, especially given the company that he's in on NXT. Backstage, buzz marketing for Total Divas. Natty is here with Tyson Kidd, Byron Saxton, planning to talk with Kidd, but he's shadow boxing. So does Byron want to talk to Natty? And he doesn't want to talk to Natty. They talk about Total Divas for two seconds. Kidd interrupts, unable to deal with anyone but him getting attention. Has she fed his cats? Well, there are cats. Are they? <laughs> when they're sick, I'm the one who chews their food and feeds it to them. Natty rightly identifies this as one, gross, two, not helpful because they are cats, not baby birds. He's like, oh, I just have a big match coming up, you know. She's like, I also have a match coming up. He decides to end this fight by going, okay, but like, but would you just go feed our cats? And she's like, you know what? 
babe, I love you. Of course, I'm gonna, I'll go feed these cats. And the moment she's out of shot, he's like, but definitely they're, they're my cats. Like they love me more. <laughs> Chris, Miles and I have gone on record as having been both of these people. You know, we're not above being a Tyson kid at times. Is this a safe space? Am I in a safe space? Or have you only ever been a natty? I need a slight refresher on this because having seen more of uh, Natalia and Kid here, I have a lot of thoughts about their dynamics. So remind me from what you've seen so far, other than just like the good person versus the bad person, what does it mean to be a Tyson kid? Oh, it's basically like if you're a Tyson kid, it's like you're a little bit passive aggressive and you're a little bit sulky. You don't want to overtly get your way, but you low-key want to get your way. But you don't want to upset your spouse because you do love them, and you don't actually want to rock the boat, but you are being a piece of shit. Uh, may I, you know what? I have been a Tyson kid in my heart, Bob. Oh, my fucking God. Oh, so you're a coward is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chris, too good to be a Tyson kid IRL. Jesus right. Christ. I made a Jimmy Carter reference. Lucas, you better cut that out so nobody realizes that I'm an old man. Back to kid. He's not just going to win the title. He's also going to replace Sarah McLaughlin in the SPCA commercials because he's a friend of the animals, especially cats. And indeed, he's wearing a black hoodie with little tiny cat ears. They look a little bit more like bear ears, but whatever. That's fine. That is a starting place. Tyson Kidd, think bigger. Lead the Macy's Day Parade. Get your own cable access TV show. Be declared employee at the month at every Wendy's, regardless of your employment status vis-a-vis any Wendy's. Throw the opening pitch for, like, Major League Baseball season. Be the spokesperson. This is a late night thing that we definitely see for AEW. For a shady drug that makes your dick dickier than it's ever been in ways that are very unclear. <laughs> Unveil the new Pantone color of the year. Chris, just to check, are you aware of the Pantone color of the year? Yes, I am aware of the Pantone color of the year. I mean, I don't know what it is right now. I don't know what is the reigning Pantone color of the year. Ah, Viva Magenta, my good friend. Oh, Viva Magenta. Yes. Yeah, Johnny yeah. Blue Jeans. I remember that show. Or also, you know, TV VCR repair. Package. Corbin, he's beaten a lot of jobbers. Dempsey, he's beaten a lot of jobbers also. Chris, storytelling. <laughs> Match two, Alexa Bliss, who still looks nothing like Tinkerbell and never fucking has. Miles and all of NXT is in the ring against Sasha Banks. Well, it was nice knowing Alexa Bliss while it lasted. Banks stalks. She slinks. She toys. Alexa Bliss has limited offense, and it seems to mainly be of like the octopus variety. I mean, it's just like the noodly limb tangles. Bliss hops on Sasha Banks' back sideways and tangles Sasha's arms up with her arms and legs, bring her to the mat for a pin attempt. And then Sasha does that backstabber where she tries to explode your kidneys using her knees. And then her neck wrecker submission, the bank statement, Bliss taps out. As you would whenever Sasha Banks does that to you. Unless you're into that kind of thing. And if Sasha Banks is doing it, maybe you are. Okay. Important. Banks does that thing where she has her opponent laid out on the ropes, like the corner. 
And she's like, okay, now I'm going to crush your midsection with my knees. She does so. Rich Brennan says, that is nasty. Grave says, that is my favorite. <laughs> because Corey Graves, while he might be a shit crumb, does at least have the good sense to be hot for women that would straight up murder him. He now has gone up two points. <laughs> Package. It's finally time. Prince Pretty is coming back from vacation. Mm, question mark there. And once more taking his place in the ring at NXT. Chris, looking at this rough cement wall that serves as the background for Breeze's announcement, where exactly do you think his last vacation stop was? Probably the Barbican Center in London, well known for its brutalist architecture, where he was being displayed as a living work of art, Bob. Oh, wow. I was going to say a CIA black site, maybe. A loading dock at an abandoned shopping mall for some sort of very evocative photo shoot. <laughs> it could be. I do think if I imagine the character of Tyler Breeze, what he's probably engaging in here is a photo shoot that is meant to sort of satirically slash disparagingly contrast his like campy, quote unquote, fashion appearance with the sort of societal decay that brutalist architecture conveys. But he does not mm. get that. And he's just like, oh, like, I make even the mall look sexy. Hmm. OK. Also. The one wall in your garage that you keep meaning to get around doing something with, but you haven't yet. I think Tyler Breeze hanging out near that wall would add a lot. It would certainly make me stop thinking about the fact that I probably do need to do something with it. <laughs> match number three, Lady Whistledown's match report. It's been a while. Prince Pretty is back from his jaunt around the continent, and while we're all pleased to have him back, there is one newly arrived member of the town who has less reason to celebrate his return. Lord Gable. He's a well-known sportsman and has already amassed some loyal supporters amongst our social set. The chance of Let's Go Gable fairly rang throughout the establishment. Prince Pretty is, needless to say, not so easily impressed as that. His ire is raised when Lord Gable insists upon keeping Prince Pretty on the mat. Prince Pretty makes several attempts to instill some respect in Lord Gable, but Lord Gable's winning attitude sees him ruin the arm of Prince Pretty with twists, knees, and arm bars on the ropes. It's only the brusque introduction of the beauty shot into the proceedings that sees this match end in Prince Pretty's favor. Although he may not have left tonight's bout the victor, Lord Gable certainly captured the hearts of the ton. The only question is, will he keep them? <laughs> Backstage, Finn Balor is excited to fight Tyson Kidd and says he's going to need more than nine lives to beat Finn Balor. Fucking adorable. <laughs> I love Finn Balor. That thick Bray accent. Cute every time. Also, he really made an effort. He was like... You know how Tyson loves cats. Well, I'm about to say a cat thing he basically <laughs> said to preface that. Oh, this is such like motivational speaker at the like sofa manufacturer convention energy where it's like I have one sofa joke at the top. Yep. I love it. 
no regrets about this. Commentary something. During Tyler Breeze's match, there was a lone figure in some distant curtains. I know, I was excited too. He's not wearing a cape or a half mask, so it's not the Phantom of the Opera. Okay, I had forgotten (laughs) that it might be Marcus Louis. I'm calling my shot right now. Secretive figure. I'm wrong about this, but I don't fucking care. Doesn't want to be seen, but interested in pro wrestling. Probably a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Odds are. Uh Uh-huh. Chris! Yes. Which Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle played pretend as which WWE superstar from the year TMNT debuted in 1987? Okay. How much thought did you give this? I bet more than it deserved. That is true. Still not much. Starting with Leonardo. Responsible type, leader, very interested in like discipline and like training. I'm going to say he's a Bret Hart guy. He's ahead of his time, Leonardo is, and is like, that Bret Hart, he's going places. Michelangelo, fun-loving guy, famously a party dude. Don't say his full name, is Mikey. Mikey, okay. Mikey, I think he seems like the big fan to me. So it might be Hulk Hogan, but I think he has a little more on the ball than that. I think he's going to go for Jesse Ventura. Okay. Just a little more stylish. Raphael? He is the one who's got a temper. He likes violence. I think he's going to go with Jake the Snake Roberts. I think he's into those like whispery promos. Oh, fuck me. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody else is shouty shouty. And I think Raphael gets it. He's like, oh, yeah, this guy, this is an actual like dangerous man. He's he has anger inside. Not just coke. (laughs) Although definitely also coke. Yes, yes, obviously. And then that just leaves Donatello, who is your nerdy wrestling fan. Donatello, an intellectual, an introvert. Not a wrestling fan, huh? No, 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 no. I think he is. Okay. It's just a question. You know what? Donatello also, I think, was like kind of had a special thing for April. I think maybe he is into Miss Elizabeth. Aww. Yeah, I think he's like rooting for her and her relationship to Macho Man. That's sweet. They're all good turtle boys. Well, you're not going to agree? You don't think they're good turtle boys? I think they're absolutely good turtle boys. I'm sorry. I was just, I was looking at this roster and thinking. (laughs) Who Splinter's favorite is? Splinter, I think, relates to Sika of the Head Shrinkers. Okay. Okay. I'll have to look into this later. Main event. Can the Lucha Dragons overcome My personal apathy. (laughs) Don't worry, ladies and gentle thems. We're going to talk about some real lucha shit one of these days because this ain't it. Speaking of things that ain't it, the match starts and Sin Cara wears Simon Gotch like a backpack. (laughs) Nope. The other way around. Both are cute if you do them to your bay at the BDSM club, but it definitely depends on how far you're looking to take this free use thing. (laughs) Seeing Kata is looking to take it all the way. (laughs) Gotch tags to English who yells at Seeing Kata, they're coming back with us! To literally tens of screams. When the Lucha Dragons take out the VOD villains with stereotopes, Simon Gotch goes down so gently. It is like (laughs) Kalisto thought he was laying a baby down for a nap. (laughs) Go back and watch. It is so sweet. He's almost like holding him. He's like, okay, no, don't don't hit the ramp too hard. Back in the ring, 
Callisto is doing some hand-holding with Aiden English and prancing about the ropes, and then he leaps, looking to drag English along with him, presumably. But instead, he just eats it. He is on his back in the ring, doing, like, La Pieta with the ref, possibly for face-saving reasons, possibly for, oh god, this is serious reasons. Difficult to tell in wrestling. Apparently, though, he's fine, because Simon Gotch is allowed to kick the shit out of him. The match keeps on happening. And Rich Brennan said, the Vaude villains are very creative, very resourceful. It makes it sound like he's commenting on how much they upcycle. <laughs> oh, yes. You'll never believe what the Vaude villains have managed to do with their old jeans. It's a mop cozy. Okay. Although, look, I'm going to say you have an old pair of jeans and also neighbors that you hate and a willingness to garden. <laughs> I follow some solar punk blogs. <sighs> Shut up, Chris. This is important. <laughs> you have not lived. What the what? Why are you? Why are you getting in the? Oh, don't don't oh, let me I distract can... you. This is so important. Okay. Please continue. You have not lived until you have seen like a row of old pairs of jeans tied to fence posts, filled with soil, and then full of fucking vegetables and herbs. So you are looking at the thick ass of some bell peppers. Tremendous art. This is the future liberals want. <laughs> I want you to walk past my front yard and go, I'm horny for this fucking bell peppers. And be like, damn right you are. Look at the ass on those. Mm. If you are wondering, Sincata does another head scissors takedown. Chris. How scissor-shaped did that pair of scissors look to you? <sighs> Would you use it to open anything? Jesus. I. You know what? Sinkara, what he's doing out there is... I don't know how to characterize it. it you know what? A, a flight attendant's last day before retirement. Oh, fuck. That's amazing. It's just doing something with their hands up there, like presumably has something to do with where the exits are, but it is so abstracted <laughs> by this point that there is no informational value. It's just like, this is the action that I must perform with my arms to acquire my paycheck to live. That's it. Oh, inspirational. All right. Well, it's more scissor shaped than previous but less scissor-shaped than you'd fucking hope. Maybe just don't do that move, bud. Don't do it. It's okay. You don't You don't gotta. Nobody is making you. He tries the sunset powerbomb on Aiden English, which did work to beat Jason Jordan and Ty Dillinger, but Simon Gotch, canny fellow, breaks up the pin, only to see his fellow mustache man picked up and held by Sincata as Kalisto tornillos down upon him. Tornillo is a uh, screw in Spanish, so if someone spins while jumping... There's a good chance it's a tornillo. The more you know. And also, this is how Aiden English gets pinned, thus giving the Lucha Dragons the ability to keep facing my mild ire. <laughs> the end. Yeah, boy. I didn't see their takeover match. It was fine. Especially having just done like Hideo Itami and Finn Balor versus The Ascension just about to go into Zayn versus Neville again, I just feel like the roster's not that small, you know? Yeah, yeah. It is embarrassing to see this. I feel bad. Like, I feel embarrassed on their behalf that this is what they're giving me. Like, ugh. I'm watching somebody give a presentation at school and I'm squirming going, oh God, can I like get out of this? Do I have to watch you do this? Fuck. Oh wait, was that the main event? Yep. Oh, 
Okay. Thank you for that enthusiastic breakdown, Bob. Thank you for teaching us all about what Torneo means. I know that move names are cool when you know them. So I do appreciate that. I know I'm trying to give people a tool to understand that whenever they add that to something. We're talking about like a thing that's happening. You could like go, oh, yes, it's the spinning bit. There you go. Yes, exactly. Just like how, you know, the move where somebody grabs your genitals, then you flip them over with your genitals is referred to in Wikipedia as a genital flip with theatrics, which always oh what struck me as so hilarious. Like, what the fuck is like the textbook, like the Lance Storm genital flip, where it's just like no nonsense. No frills. Yeah. Look, I didn't come here to brag about my dick. Back whenever men were men. Yeah. And they just flipped each other with their genitals. <laughs> <laughs> What did you think about this episode overall? It was fine. It was not stellar. It was a lot of meh wrestling. But I mean, I'm interested in this Chad Gable fellow. I've heard things. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of things, but I've heard things. I don't know. But I have already forgotten what happened in it. Mm -hmm. That is how memorable it was. Although I did appreciate the bit at the beginning because it had Sammy and Neville in it. And that was fun. Mm -hmm. As always. Oh, and of course, you know, Natty and Tyson. Yeah. The people who are good at acting. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? And the people who are moving stories forward. This episode did suffer from a lot of kind of treading water. I mean, not just, mm -hmm. you know, the actual rematch, but also, you know, like Hideo Itami. I mean... I think maybe part of the reason the crowd's not so into him fighting Curtis Axel is we know who Curtis Axel is. We know at least who you want Hideo Itami to be. There's no drama here. And mm. what would we be cheering for? It just is what it is. It's just facts. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know. You've been hanging out with Tyson Kidd too much. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think the episode suffered from that. And it was strongest where it was trying to move forward, which I do think, as we'll talk about, I do think that the Sammy promo was doing it. It was, you know, like a necessary beat in the story, but it was a new beat in the story. So we weren't blown away by this episode. But the format of the show dictates that we pretend to have felt something about it in a segment we like to call the sights, sounds, and feels of professional wrestling. Bob, what did your elf eyes see in this episode? So after they were like, Corbin, Dempsey, things, they're going to have a match. Then they show, I don't know what you call it, match card, whatever, title card. You see Dempsey on one side, Corbin on another. Corbin looks like a human being. <laughs> Dempsey looks like a fucking guinea pig posing for a mugshot. <laughs> <laughs> so goddamn cute. I'm like, baby, your face isn't cut out to do this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, I know you have to play a heel because... That's kind of what your thing is. And with that body type, it would be hard to probably play a face unless you're in a pretty open-minded company, which this is not. But like, oh, oof. Maybe don't try to like mean mug. Don't do that. <laughs> Go back and look at it. Adorable. Chris, what did your elf eyes see? I saw a small detail in the opening segment where when Neville comes to the ring, Mm -hmm. to talk to Sammy. Sammy kind of gives him a look 
like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And he hands him his microphone <gasps> and then Sammy gets a new microphone. Oh, I love it when wrestling has those little bits of acting, those little bits of characterization. It's so well suited to it. It's not just during the matches when we get physical storytelling, you know, it's every little thing the character does reveals character. And I think the fact that Sammy, after everything, gives Neville a mic and then gets a new mic for himself, that he's like kind of giving the floor to Neville from a new position of confidence. Yeah. Really does something to like kind of seal that story even before a word is spoken. So that was what I picked up on. I like that. Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? Oh, commentary was a trip, but I this is something that just delighted me because of the contrast. Rich Brennan to the close of the Atami Axel match. Snapmare. Oh, what a kick. Now, the camera angle is probably mostly to blame here. Itami does the lightest caress of a kick. <laughs> just grazes Axel's neck. It's like the caress of a lover. <laughs> and then Axel goes down to the sound of Rich Brennan going, oh, what a kick. And I'm like, well i mean i guess if you say it loud enough like i have to nod because what else am i gonna do this is very awkward (laughs) but yeah that was a moment i hope you've chosen to bring some of commentaries gold chris what did your vulcaneers hear i heard something i want your opinion on during the axel itami match You pointed out Mm -hmm. that Curtis Axel starts like yelling to the crowd to kind of like get them into it, which is much easier for a heel to do than for a baby face to do because. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, a a heel, you're supposed to hate them. And so if they start yelling at the crowd antagonistic things, then, of course, the crowd's going to respond. Whereas as a baby face, if you're like, come on, you know, like. Oh, no, 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 no. That looks desperate. Don't do that. Yeah. Even worse, if you do like the hand thing, like the come on motion. To the crowd, it's like, need, no. I need I need more. Like, I need I need more from you. Guys, I'm at work, please. Mm. Yeah, that's real bad. And it's effective. I think that his talking to the crowd really kind of like, to the extent that this match works, it works because of that. It is my particular thing. I'm a very verbal person. I have an easier time interpreting verbal communication. And so, for me, the best thing that a wrestler can do is yell at the crowd what they're feeling and what they're going to do. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge it as a little bit of a breakdown of the form. I think like a wrestler who talks a lot, it's like a prop comic. It's like, like, what are you doing here if this is your shtick? What are you doing in a match with moves and like a fiction of athleticism if your move is to turn to the crowd and say things to them to get an emotional reaction? Mm. But I don't know. I, I may be biased about this just because it's my particular soft spot. How do you feel about wrestlers who talk to the crowd a lot? Mm, I'm open to it. I haven't seen it done especially well, but I don't know. I'm always open to the possibility that there is a way to do it, if not multiple ways to do it, that would be fucking brilliant. And that just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean people should stop doing it. So I'm like, I don't want people to stop doing it in case somebody out there is going to figure out what the fucking thing is. Mm-hmm. So I would rather people keep on doing it, even if they're doing it in a way that I'm like, nah, this is kind of nothing. But somebody's going to figure it out and it's going to be amazing. So I'm OK. To me, it's got a ceiling on it. You know, there's a point in a match where I want to see physical storytelling. 
but oh well yeah i mean you have to have that too yeah i've got a lot of patience for verbal stuff bob what did your human heart feel natty and tyson doing dumb hashtag couple stuff i love it so much it's like I know they're in character, but you can clearly see that they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. It's so fucking good. You can see the fucking gremlin shit just underneath it. It is (laughs) adorable and to die for. Chris, what did your human heart feel? All right. This is very specific. I felt Tyler Breeze's side headlock during his match with Chad Gable. That side headlock... Down on the ground. It's a headlock. I mean, it's a side headlock. I I did look it up earlier today. I believe you could also call it a reverse chancery. But I decided not to big league you. I decided to, like, just call it what it is. Well, look, you don't have an Excalibur mask. So until you get that, you're not allowed to say chancery nothing to me. It's in the mail, Bob. Okay, okay. You're stretching your neck. You're, like, messing with your fingernails. You're, like, glassy-eyed like Bob is right now. I know. Because you don't care about side headlocks. (laughs) But if you go back to this, you're going to see you may not have clocked it as a side headlock, but you definitely felt more than you would have felt during the match because of the way that Tyler Breeze applies it. It has nothing to do with any like technical proficiency. It has everything to do with Tyler Breeze as a pro wrestler. There's pacing. There are gears to shift to. There's a story being told with this side headlock as simple as it is, right? It's just a simple rest hold. But it's dynamic. It's not two guys laying there in a given position. I agree. Until they, you know, get their wind back or whatever. It is like I even love the fact that the crowd begins to like give something to Chad Gable or starting to clap or whatever. And Tyler Breeze gets a smug look and he shakes his head. He's like, that's not going to work. Not going to work. And he like grinds him back down. That interaction. It's like making something out of nothing. To me, that is such the essence of pro wrestling because it is just a hold. But that hold is really good television. That simple ass rest hold because Tyler Breeze knows how to fucking do a headlock. That is what I felt. Now I'm horny for headlocks. This is so... <laughs> I can't believe this art form is like this. That should be the name of the podcast. Horny for headlocks. Horny for headlocks. I mean, that is the episode name now. We've now felt with our human hearts. We're almost done with this episode of NXT. But before we move on, it's time to award the Borance Olivier Award for commitment to the bit. Bob, who wins your Borance Olivier Award for this episode? My Lawrence Olivier Award is going to Tyson Kidd. He's doing comedy It's so stupid. I love it. His character is a nutcase (laughs) who should not be allowed out in society, (laughs) let alone on television. I love it. He wore a hoodie with ears. This grown ass man who's very strong in like a high testosterone environment is like, no, no, this is important hoodie with little ears on it fucking amazing peerless (laughs) chris what other answer could you possibly have who are you giving your borns olivier award to there is no other answer it's tyson kid i'll tell you what does it for me 
when he's done the whole exchange with Natalia, as you mentioned, and then he turns back to the interviewer and he's like, they're my cats. <laughs> in exactly that inflection, he's getting it out of the way. That is acting. That is like, yes. look, I'm here to do something else. Just the way that he is like taking out the fucking trash with that inflection. It's like, I don't even want to have to deal with this, but just like for the record, they're my cats. <laughs> It is beautiful. It is ugh, perfect. I'm so sad he's not wrestling anymore. Oh, my God. It's a huge loss. You know, this gets to what I was talking about before. And like his situation obviously is different from everyone else's. But it is unfortunate that we have such a great record in like a black and gold NXT of so many people who have so much potential who could Fuck really yeah. like connect to a crowd and do their bit who just were not the right fit at the right time for the WWE product and never really connected in that way on the main roster. And Tyson Kidd, you know, before his injury, similarly, like he was successful with Cesaro, but he was not doing on the main roster what he was doing here, not performing, I think, at his potential, like so many people who got called up. It was one of those guys who was bittersweet. It was like, best of luck. I'm glad you're going to be getting the paycheck. I'm very sad that I'm never really going to see you in anything I'm interested in probably ever again. You know, Godspeed. I think there is something really lovely about, I guess I want to push back slightly and maybe I'm wrong here about, it is a shame that they move up, up in quotation marks and they don't get to shine as brightly as they you know, really rightfully should. But I think that what they do in NXT is not only is it only possible in NXT because of the full sale crowd, but I think NXT is interested in such a different kind of like smaller storytelling. It's a little bit more quiet kind of workplace comedy shit. And then there's like, you know, the main event scene is big and doing its thing, but the rest of it is sort of so prosaic and in its prosaic nature is so fucking juicy whereas i think main roster wwe is like no the volume is always at 11 all the fucking time and you're like i can't sustain that for two <laughs> hours and who can live up to that and compete with everybody else being at that volume around you that's not I mean, that's not great TV, but it's also going to limit what you can get out of people. And I love that NXT has range. I love that we get to see Tyson Kidd do something tiny that is nothing. It's like this backstage moment is nothing no one except us is talking about this or will ever talk about this i'm like no but this is what makes it good this exact thing that it's like a tiny domestic nothing that they're like let this be a character moment it doesn't have to be loud it doesn't have to be showy it can just be weird like we'll just let that be yes more of this Yes, I agree. More of this. And that's my complaint. I think this is a problem with the way that like main roster WWE has always been, which is that I think so much of WWE is Vince McMahon's psyche writ large. And a large yeah. part of that is insecurity. Yeah. And that's why we don't get to have 
real impactful small stories about people in WWE because Vince McMahon is afraid of looking small. And so everything has to be huge. Anything that is not physically and psychologically and emotionally huge is too small because it makes us look small. And so that is why WWE failed and failed and failed to create something like NXT deliberately, but then succeeded in creating it accidentally as a developmental territory because it is by its nature small. Like it's where people are supposed to learn their skills. There's different creative and control. They're not meant to be like full-fledged WWE superstars. And so here they're able to tell small stories and work the crowd that's in the room. And that creates something totally different from what the main product allows. Then when they get called up, the question is, all right, well, can you play to an auditorium who we presume to be totally uninterested in the human experience, only interested in vastly cartoonishly larger than life characters who have no vulnerabilities and only care about violence? And some people don't thrive in that environment and they are blamed for that and fired. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing because it's like, it would be like if you took your superheroes and you're like, all right, all of our sort of like B and C list are over here in NXT and like they can kind of struggle with all of their stuff. And then all of our, you know, Supermans and everything are over here on the main roster. And you can get that kind of humanity out of them. But it's like, okay, they're at the very top. And now that they're at the very top, we can have like, all right, now they can have like an emotion. On the way there, fuck no. Absolute (laughs) none. But now that they're at the pinnacle, like Roman Reigns is now allowed to shed like a tear of kind of (laughs) remorse about something. Like, uh, but (sighs) fuck it. Let's just turn back to the Dazzler channel. This is like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you, the thing is, if you look at real life, you can clearly have this. Like people obsess about the smallest details of celebrity existence and like personal relationships and all that stuff. Not just in celebrity culture in general, but for example, in UFC, where these are fighters, but all these little things about their personal lives, their relationships, their rivalries get picked (laughs) apart. Jesus Christ. Some of them are like, oh, fuck, that person should probably not be allowed out unsupervised like <laughs> I, conor mcgregor i'm worried about no i'm worried about anybody who comes into contact with him he seems like a fucking nutcase yeah and that works for wrestling that works great for wrestling yeah you know especially because it's fiction whereas that guy's a real fucking yeah. guy that's my rant i think that nxt is a fundamentally different product the creative direction the context of the show it's not just the full sale crowd But it includes the fact that you're building a relationship with the crowd rather than sort of seeing them as a stand in for the widest possible audience, like the most undifferentiated mass of humanity. Well, I think also crucially, it's that NXT is arguably for grownups or at least for a more mature demographic. Whereas main roster WWE has what since the 2000s or whatever decided like we want to sell merch to children. We are a product that has to be able to appeal to children. And that is going to really limit what you could do. Yeah. I mean, I guess because of the countervailing social forces like Attitude Era and no problem selling that shit to children. 
And that was well, like, I'm just saying NXT is not selling shit to children. You could go to your much. local KB's in the 90s and get a two pack of like, oh, KB's. Let me buy a two pack of the wrestler who's a pimp and the wrestler who's a porn star. That's what I want to play with at home in my like <laughs> fucking smash them up little toy ring with the sound effects. <laughs> but I think the fact that WWE maybe got burned on that. Yes, they chose to cater mainly to kids on the main roster. Not that it's appropriate for kids, but it is boring. You have to give them that. It is boring. <laughs> Didn't fuck that part up. So we've just talked about an episode of NXT. Boy, have we. It's time to see if Bob can predict the next big thing. This episode, we did in fact see Marcus Louis haunting the halls of Full Sail University like the Phantom of the Opera in a storyline that I'm just sure is going places. <laughs> <laughs> so that option is now off the table for you, Bob. Okay. I'm going to have to replace it with a new one. Okay. So as always, you're going to have four options for what you think is the next big thing. The thing that we're going to see next week All right. on NXT. Will it be a championship match is so one-sided that it ends and the championship changes hands on a referee stoppage? Baron Corbin finally gets pinned for the first time, but don't worry, there's interference, so he's still a big bad lone wolf. An indie star makes their debut by beating the shit out of CJ Parker, or a major feud ends with a clean finish in a match that goes less than two minutes. Uh, nope, sticking with the Baron Corbin thing. Sticking with Baron Corbin, okay. I don't know why the fuck they would let Bull Dempsey pin him. But I guess that's how they have to continue the feud, because I mean, if it feels like it would be too decisive. Like, if Baron Corbin pinned Bull Dempsey, it's fucking over, so, alright. That's interesting, so you have a sense that, like, right now, Baron Corbin is on top, and so if he wins, then it's I like... I mean, compared to, like... Gangster guinea pig, yes. <laughs> we'll put you down once again for Baron Corbin finally gets pinned, but there's interference, so it's okay. Still a big bad wolf. All right, I'm marking it down. Whenever I get three wrong, you have to tell me what you're going to make me like watch or read and podcast about. So that way you can really like light a fire under me to make me motivated to think about these things. Good idea. You're good at podcasts, Bob. Thank you. I'd make a fuck of a lot of them. Mm -hmm. All right. That's it for this week. However, if you want more of us, you can go over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and find an episode this weekend where we discuss something else in the world of wrestling that might interest you if something in this episode particularly grabbed you. There, you'll also get updates about what's going on for us this week. As you know, we record these well ahead of time, well ahead of their release. And so the weekend episodes on Patreon, which are free for everyone. Yes. That's where you'll go to get timely updates about what's happening with the show. So do go check that out. We will see you next time for NXT's big switch to wednesdays oh man i didn't even cover the switch to wednesdays i was a fool chris <laughs> yeah your breakdown really neglected the switch to wednesdays but nxt is by which i mean you know did eight years ago switch to wednesdays that's the biggest headline here really 
and they're pushing it big time. So we're going to have lots of big matches, including the long-awaited Dempsey versus Corbin match next time on NXT. So we will see you then for that. Yeah. The NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We are on Twitter and Facebook at The NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at Megadumbcast and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Our commentary team for this episode is Rich Brennan. Nope. Is or are? Well, if it's team singular, then it's is. But if you're referring to them collectively as a team, then I think it would be acceptable to say are. Sorry, the tequila's already hit me and I've already forgotten. So I guess it doesn't matter which one. Our commentary team, Rich Brennan, Corey Graves, and Jason Albert. Running down. Sentence fragment. Oh my God. I'm podcasting with a nerd. See, Miles knows these things. He would never bring that up. <laughs> he saw how I wrote, and he was like, you don't you don't know what an M dash is, do you? And I was like, never met her. <laughs> well, your expectations of me are predicated on having a temperament like Miles, whereas the sentence you just uttered was not predicated at all. <laughs> ah, I see. Tequila makes you a pedant. I hate it. <laughs> this fucking Paloma has burp water in it. Jesus Christ, I made a Jimmy Carter reference. Lucas, you better cut that out so nobody realizes that I'm an old man. That should be the name of the podcast. Horny for Headlocks. Horny for Headlocks. I mean, that is the episode name now. It's not going to be your vegetable bit. It's not going to be putting the cum in capsicum. <laughs> No, at no point did anybody say that, Chris. I just did. I just said it. Yeah. No, no that's not going to be the name. <laughs> Lucas, listen. Putting the cum no. in caps. Cum in all caps. Nope. As always. Nope. Standing policy. Nope. We're the ones who pay you. Cum always in caps. C-U-M, capital letters. It's a house style that. Putting the cum in capsicum, yeah. Chris has made a style handbook that he insists is correct. <laughs> Look, I, you know what? We're all horny for different things. We're learning about ourselves. You're horny for headlocks. I'm horny for house style. What? <laughs> it's such weird shit about paragraphing. It's so bizarre. Listen, I there's just something about widow orphan control that brings out the dom in me. I don't know what to tell you. Oh, my God. Move the fuck off. <laughs> we are not doing paragraph material for the next half hour. That's going to be cut. The next big thing. This dick. <laughs> I'm hilarious.
this big fucking juicy bok choy in these jeans. <laughs> you haven't seen the bok choy, like, come on, like, just fucking out of the ass crack of some jeans? You haven't lived. No, absolutely. No, I mean, I, look, I've been hot for the bok choy ever since Plants vs. Zombies. However, if you want more of us talking about, I promise not vegetables and jeans, 